my man Killer B. No doubt, indeed. Without weed, you know what I'm saying? That old red. There's a war going on outside, no man is safe from. You could run, but you can't hide forever from these streets that we done took. You walking with your head down, scared to look. You shook, cause ain't no such things as halfway crooks. They never around when the beef cooks in my part of town. It's similar to Vietnam. Now we all grown up and old and beyond the cops control. All right, thank you, Pete. Similar to Vietnam. It is. There's a war going on outside. You know, if you look at it, it is almost like we are fighting our, within our own community. We are fighting, golly, people in other communities running down the street, taking from the headlines recently. We're fighting, shoot, artists are fighting amongst each other. You know, let's talk about this. Who shot you? People believe that was a uh, call out to uh, Pac and Big. And we know how that ended up. Another dead rapper. We just blow that off nowadays like it's no big deal. You know, I'm running down the, whether we're talking about Big, Pop, Jam Master J, Nipsey, Big L, Pop Smoke. We turn the pages like it's just, you know, another story in a book. But it speaks to a deeper issue that you guys have just kind of highlighted. Uh, you know, where we live, the circumstances, the structural racism, the uh, messages that we sold and embraced wholeheartedly, uh, the presence of... Uh, you know, just the efficiency of guns to kill people and the disproportionate number of us who died at the hands of them. Just throw some stats out there. If you guys have more, please add. Gun violence. Basically, it takes the life of an African-American man every five hours. Mm. That's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Every five hours, it takes one of our lives at the hand of a gun. Basically, it's a leading cause of death for brothers less than 35 years of age. Crazy, insane. African-American men are nine times more likely to be killed by a police officer than our other racial or ethnic counterparts. Parts. That stuff is just unheard of. So that being said and done, we have become desensitized to this. If somebody put those stats up there for some other group of people, it would be just public outcry, an alarm. For us, it's another day. It's another walk in the park. So you guys uh, kind of speak on that. Talk about it. Talk about what we can do, if anything, to fight on all of these fronts, whether it's gun control, is that an answer? Is it a preventable disease? Whether it's uh, just, you know, the, bringing the attention on high profile individuals like the hip hop artists that we know that have been slain in all these cold cases. Can we do something to bring attention to the epidemic of violence and, you know, that affects us? The recent police, you know, brutality, vigilanteism, man, that goes back to the watch riots. That's old school and it seems like nothing's changed. What can we do on a deeper level since we're the one catching the bodies? I mean, the, first of all, with the desensitization, I mean, that's purposeful, right? I mean, and, it, and it's natural. We become numb to things that we see over and over and over. Growing up, I stopped watching the Detroit news because every night you watch, you're just watching somebody get killed. And that was the messaging, you know, every single day. And that's why people don't want to visit certain cities because that's what's, you know, put out there. And so if you look at school shootings now, like America has become somehow desensitized to school shootings. When school shootings first started, that was the major thing. Everybody's looking in on it and checking their updates like we're checking for COVID-19. But now a school shooting happens and it's barely news. It's yeah. not even trending on Twitter anymore. Heavy, isn't it? 
It's heavy because, like I said, I feel hopeless about it. And yeah, I think it's easy to say gun control, um, but what is gun control? You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to be controlling? Are we controlling who gets them? Are we going to control how hard it is to get it? Are we going to control the type of gun that's available? Because, you know, with all this violence that we're seeing, majority of the violence that we're seeing is not from like the automatic assault rifles. You know, majority of the, of the violence that we're seeing. I don't know who on here, I don't know if you want to put yourself out if you do own a gun, but like, I, I just don't understand. I don't know if there's an answer to that question. And that's why this is a very difficult um, topic for me to talk about because I don't really like discussing things that I don't have like a tangible answer to because I just feel like I'm going in a circle. So I don't, I don't have an answer to that. You know, I think one of the, um, I remember a stand up from Chris Rock recently that rather than, you know, charging the gun a lot is like, it's the bullets that are killing people. So put, make the bullets more expensive, you know, so that people can't get access to them. Cause that's the thing that's actually killing them. But I mean, I'm with Chidi, like, I, I, I don't know. I think again, gun control, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it's like another pill treating a disease. It's not really, it's not curing anything. It's just putting, like you were saying, putting band-aid or just treating the condition, but I think it would be all temporary. I, I think there's a whole systemic issue. And I think again, when it comes to, I, I keep bringing up the book, um, uh, in like almost all the podcasts called Stamped from the Beginning, right? Where it just basically you have a stamped, group. Stamped from the beginning. From the beginning from Ibram Kendi. And where it just kind of talks about how from the very beginning of American culture, the, the establishment of American society where blacks were just put down. Like they're in a position where you're putting a group of people just completely from preventing them from blossoming and growing. And so that's prevent, I think that's what's happening. You're putting people in, 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 Again, you've seen with this Latino communities, things like that, where these minorities are, are growing up in ghettos, just being in this environment, not letting them blossom. And I think when you're putting them in, in these kind of pigeonholing them into these positions, there's nowhere else to go. You know, like you're having, again, a society where, where again, this is not a podcast where we're bashing, you know, white people or Caucasian people, but you have a group of people that are kind of are doing so well in society, they keep growing and expanding and stuff, but you have the minorities that are kind of being, again, stamped. And so, we have to kind of find ways to kind of bring these minorities up, you know, bring them into positions of, to kind of help them. I don't know how to, I guess I'm not being very eloquent or, or, or elaborating that well, but kind of putting in a situation where we can help them give them the opportunity to grow and make a big difference in their society and in, in our let, broader let me, society me, as a whole. Let me put this in the air then. So uh, <clears throat> I find that other minority communities, uh, there is a, uh, a self-valuation that they hold themselves to. You know, you you don't see uh, people who are, I'll say this while I'll rephrase it. If you treat yourself bad, people are going to treat you even worse. There has to be a certain self-value that we all have to have in order to expect others to even approximate that. There once was a time where that was the case. That has been eroded as Kate Ford hit so eloquently by structural racism and the like. Here's where I'm going to throw out there. Our majority of white counterparts often use the argument, and I say it's a false moral equivalent, but it does have a, a, a small amount of truth to it. They're like, you guys kill each other. You know, how do you expect us to value you when you guys are killing each other? Mm -hmm. I would say this. For us to elevate the Black Lives Matter movement, we got to be ready to ride out when somebody shoots a six-year-old in retaliatory crime in Chicago. We got to be ready to protest about that too. But, but we do. 
it just does that not is, get it does it does no it just it doesn't get publicized that's the problem it's not it's not sexy for television to broadcast the protests and all the activism that's going on in in inner cities and communities when it comes to violence that has happened within the community but when it's a polit when it seems like it's a political issue a political agenda that's when it becomes politicized people always say that oh nobody cares about it when the jugular kills this person in your community that's not the case there's all types of groups all types yeah. of activism that goes on but i submit to you that it's not to the same degree i don't say that nobody cares because i'm one of those individuals who does care about it i'm not saying nobody and i think that's where we we sometimes fall on one side of an argument or another, not just some of you and I, just some of just people in general, that the world is about degrees. We find that if it doesn't make a certain degree, we consider it not happening. Or if it hits a certain degree, we consider it happening. There's a whole lot of ground in between there for a lot of growth and, and development. And what I'm talking about is that national issues, I agree with you. When it comes to you know, the, the travesties that happen at home, it's not sexy until somebody picks it up in those things. But there is such a thing as things become viral and become popular because the important people pick it up. You don't see the important people picking up those issues. They should be riding with us in that. It shouldn't just be the people in that community. There should be the same national outrage amongst all groups when those kind of lives are lost. And that's- You know the difference? Go ahead, hit the me difference, up. The difference is the justice piece, right? So okay. yes, it is tragic when somebody from the neighborhood kills somebody else from the neighborhood but when that happens, what happens? The person that did the killing is either A, getting killed, or B, going to prison for a long time. These, these stories have become national because there's no justice when a police officer kills an unarmed black man and, or when two vigilante non-police officers, white police two vigilante non-white police officers kill a black man that was out jogging and there's a video of that for two months and they aren't arrested. That's why it becomes viral and it picks up because for two months, there's no semblance of justice. Whereas in neighborhood crimes, for the most part, the person that's doing the crime is getting, is going, is getting punished for that. Then let me float this to you then. Do you think, because here, here's the other issue. There is a culture of of silence as there is with the police department you know you don't tell on your brothers you remember you and i were laughing at one time people rocking the, you know you know stop snitching shirts remember that yeah don't be a rat right right there is a propensity of that also within our own community that yeah, absolutely yeah and that has to die but it's not that simple it, none of not, this is simple. None it's of this not is. that simple so yes there's two there's two sides to that in terms of the no snitch what you did you brought up a good point no snitching is not just in the in the black communities. No snitching is a heavy component of police and policing. Like their police do not snitch on the police, so that's a part of <laughs> life in general. Right. But in terms of within communities, there's a part where there's there's a, a sector of people who would believe in no snitching just because based off a of principle because that's how they're raised and people told them their uncle told them their dad told them no snitching if you're a rat then bad things happen to you so there's one there's one sector of that but the other sector of that is fear and lack of protection retaliation if you if, if a police officer is coming to your to your neighborhood to talk to your mom or your auntie and they want you to tell what you know about the drug dealers or whoever that did this murder down the block 
and then you you agree to testify, the police department is not going to protect you. Well, you you, have, you have you have to live in that neighborhood with the with the people that are perpetuating the violence. And so a lot of people are not snitching out of self-preservation, out of survival, because they know if they open their mouths, they're dead. They, they're going to die. And, and and I can I can ride with that, but then why commercialize it? Well, it's, it's not the grandma and the auntie and the mom that's commercializing it. Yeah, but I'm saying, right. but you see the mixed messages. It's, it's, that it's, it's the other sector. Yes, it's become yeah. it's become popular in you know in the mainstream right. and hip hop culture and right. all that stuff. And we can but, talk but, about how that happened. But but uh, you see how erosive that is too. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, it's hard to go and talk about somebody when you know that I got to go back home and you guys aren't going to stand for me and ride with me when they come to ask me, did you uh did you say something about X Y Z crime? I, I'm with you on that. But I think that it's starting the culture, well, not the culture, but um, I don't know if y'all know Takashi 69 He's yeah. problematic all around, but he just got released. And like now he's glorifying being a rat. So I don't know what that's going to do for the culture because he has a huge following and the feds are behind him right now. He's able to speak freely because the feds are going to protect him for some amount of time. So he's that's glorifying right. snitching at this time. So I don't know if there's going to be a culture shift with that. And who's going to be profiting off of that? And I think it's because what you said, Chris, is that this is a human issue. I find that if you're able to boil down inequality and inequity into human issues, you are probably a step closer to getting a solution. When things become only seen as their problem or our problem, we can't see the universalities of it. Like the corruption in our community is no greater than the corruption in white communities or, you know, the ability to be able to talk without being uh, a speak truth of power without being uh, retaliated against. We call it whistleblowers when it's white collars. It's calling, you know, you know, putting a hit on somebody in other communities, but it's the same mechanism when you can tie to how destructive that is to all people. Injustice anywhere, at least injustice everywhere. That's old Martin Luther King paraphrase. So I'm with you on that. I just think that we sometimes the stakes are high and it's easier to talk this. We're just talking now. But sometimes there has to be a willingness to put ourselves out there. That's how we all got here. Somebody got on the front line and took a hit for us all and we benefited. I can talk that now, but let's see if I can do that. Nonetheless, it has to be said. But no, I feel you, brother. Go ahead. Preach on, guys. You got anything to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think we have to make that clear is that no snitching even though it's become glamorous and popular as something that's black because of hip-hop and all that kind of thing it's not just a black thing it's not just it i mean no snitching uh, you're not going to snitch on the mafia <laughs> the mob right. you know what i mean like all, all organized crime you're not going to snitch on the cartel um and then even even when we get past crime like we talked about very rapid in police culture the blue lives i mean they're not going to snitch on each other we talk about white collar we talk about offices and sex uh, sexism and sexual assault in there and this joe schmo gets accused um of sexual assault randy's not going to snitch on snitch on his co-worker or colleague or his boss i mean that's very prevalent sexual assault in the office is very prevalent but why is it swept on the rug because nobody's talking nobody's snitching and let me tell you those guys weren't didn't grow up in gangs and grew up in that kind of culture that's just that's just humans and one thing that i learned early on in college going from a 99 percent black city to all of a sudden going to college and i'm the vast minority in college where it's you know two percent black student population humans are humans like humans are, humans are humans 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 are humans humans <laughs> humans enact human behavior 
right? Like growing up, I used to think, I literally don't laugh. Like I used to think that smoking weed was a black person thing. Like I didn't, that's all I saw in the news. Like I didn't think, I thought smoking weed was all about black people. When I got to college, I was like, whoa, you smoke weed, you smoke weed. Like you did, you all these behaviors that I saw growing up that were stereotypes of black people. I saw all of a sudden college rich white kids doing it all the time. We talked about violence, like humans have been violent forever since forever and then you when you add depression and when you add um issues to where people are desperate of course those violent the violence is going to increase when you add um decreasing opportunities when you add um, oppression and that kind of thing of course volunteering is going to go it's going to go up but humans Humans do what humans do, and it's not a black thing. It's not a Hispanic thing, not a Chinese thing, a white thing. It's a human thing because that's so. What so, so you co-sign what I said. I think there has to be an expectation, and realization that these things aren't unique to one group; that they're human. Yeah. But there also has to be a calling to rise above that too, right? Humans yeah. are inherently selfish. We're inherently oppressive, exploitive. We've seen that all throughout human history. But we have to rise above that, and otherwise, we all lose at the end of this. But go ahead, we. Like, like, like chopping out with, we're going to chop that up a little bit more into some fun <laughs> details later on. But go ahead, guys, jump in. No, I, I think, Chris, you're saying something absolutely right. I think it is, it's 100% a human factor. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, I kind of frequent um, Reddit a lot. And one of the favorite subreddits is something called Public Freakout. And um, they show kind of videos of people kind of acting crazy. And one of the things that do show, like, people, I guess, of religious groups kind of being crazy. And I think for me, I think we all have identify certain labels, right? I think for me, the most important label for me is I'm Muslim, right? That's kind of the label that I'm proud of. And a lot of people say, hey, look at these Muslims, they're violent, they're crazy, kind of make Islam seem like it's a very um, inherently violent faith, you know? And so that's why, like, I'm wearing this here, Salam. It's from the root word of Islam, which means peace. Um, and so the things that it's a human factor. I mean, you're seeing nobody's talking about, you know, when people, I think, kind of had the notion of Buddhism or Hinduism being very um, a peaceful faith and stuff, which is true. I think all faiths are peaceful or whether you have lack of faith or have faith, I think you can be a moral person. But you see how like the Hindu Nationalist Party in India is treating Muslims right now, how um, the Buddhist country of Myanmar or Burma is treating Muslims in there, kind of killing them, oppressing them. Same thing of atheist countries like China, right? How they're doing that to the Uyghur Muslims right now. You have South uh, North Korea, sorry, how they're treating their people, right? It's not religion. It's not, you know, it's a human factor, but people take politics, religion, things, and kind of manipulate them and kind of mold them into their view. And we'll, like you said, well, we're inherently, you know, uh, oppressive or will kind of will oppress people to kind of promote our view at the end of the day. It's a human factor, unfortunately. And I think that's the problem. Like, I don't know how we're going to go. We were talking about how to fix it. I don't know. Like, I think it's inherently, you need to become, do you become more moral? Do you change your characteristic? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Cause it's, I think like you're saying where it's probably something inherent within us. How do we change something like that with it's inherent in our human nature? And that's where I'm kind of like, I don't have an answer to that because yeah. Like we all go back to our base human nature at the end of this. Like that's why there's so many, like there was an uptick in violence with quarantine because we feel like we're out of options. People feel fearful, people are scared. And when you're fearful and you're scared, you do something to retaliate, to kind of bring some semblance of control or some sem mm -hmm. semblance of, you know, a way to kind of fix your situation when you don't know how to do anything else. And I think that why it's so prevalent in black cultures, why it's so prevalent, well, black environments majority of black environments or inner cities is because that's where they live 
you live in this place where it's always dog eat dog, you know, it's a dog eat dog world, or it's always, you always feel like you're out of options. And you know, the reason why now a lot of people are experiencing more gun violence during quarantine is because everybody's in that situation. Now, everybody's in a situation that they can't control. Everybody's in a situation where they don't really know what the next step is going to be. And so when you're in that situation, inherently, like we keep saying as humans, we try to do something to control our situation. So Again, I, I really don't know how to answer the question of what's the next step because how do you fix human nature? And, and yeah, that's, so that's, that's that survival of the fittest. That's, that's how we let this segment off. Um, but Chris, you said something that was really powerful. It is justice. How we behave in justice. Justice is normally an approximation or an attempt to approximate fairness or equity amongst people. And those are things that are showing the higher principles of human being. When we try to say hey, you know, um, this isn't fair to me and it's not fair to you. Maybe we can make it fair for both of us. And that is a lofty goal, but is what has allowed us to do good in mass justice. I'm going to rock this. We're going to change this to a different segment. This is Tribe by 12, East Flatbush Project. We're going to let this rock. And then we're going to move into that concept of justice and what that really means and what we can do from our standpoint. Because I, I believe it's not something that we should grow apathetic or weary in trying to achieve. 